Hello, and welcome to Season 2 of Dagish America Presents. I am your host, Ben Harl, and I'm so happy to have the opportunity to talk to you about the industry that I work in. In Season 1, we spent some time talking about fumigation in a really broad sense, and we covered all sorts of topics, including the main fumigants on the U.S. market, transportation and storage, the future of fumigation, and so many other topics. And we were joined by some of the leaders in our industry that helped us unpack a lot of the technical aspects of what it is that we do. If you haven't had a chance yet, please go back and give Season 1 a listen. I think you'll enjoy it. Now, in Season 2, we're going to drill down into just one of those primary fumigants that we use on a daily basis, phosphine. We'll cover all sorts of topics related to the use of phosphine. We're going to talk about how it works, how to use it safely and effectively, how to plan and perform fumigations with phosphine, and so much more. And for the final episode of this season, we're doing something just a little bit different. We're actually going to host a live episode with a panel of guests that will answer your questions. You'll actually have the opportunity to send in your questions in advance all throughout Season 2, or tune in live the day that we broadcast that live season finale and ask them on the spot. If you want to send questions out in advance, you can send them to podcast at dagishamerica.com and we'll make sure to go through them in that season finale. But in the meantime, we have plenty to discuss in this first episode. We'll be discussing the history of phosphine, how it works, and some of the various phosphine products that we have on the U.S. market. And I've invited Bartek Dronowski, Chief Operating Officer of Dagish America, to join me to help shed some light onto this particular fumigant. So, please, help me welcome Bartek to the podcast. Bartek, how you doing today? I'm doing very well, thank you, Ben. That's good. Glad I was able to uh, pin you down and, and get you on one of our podcasts finally. Well, it's, it's my pleasure. <laughs> I've been looking forward to it. So thank you for including good. me in the episode. Good. So I think most people in the industry probably already know who you are, but in case there's anybody that's listening that doesn't know who you are, could you do us a favor and just tell us a little bit about yourself and, and your relationship to the industry? Yes, thank you, Ben. So I accidentally began my career with Dagish America at a Richmond, Virginia location. Uh, while I was working there during the summers in the early 1990s while attending college. Uh, I was later offered a full-time position and started as a licensed applicator working mainly on structural and warehouse fumigations. The reason I say accidentally is because at that point I really didn't have any intention of going into the, the fumigation business. Sure. So uh, as I became uh, more involved, we also became more involved in other commodity fumigations. At that point we were mainly doing tobacco fumigations and we diversified into other commodities. After being promoted to the Richmond Division Manager's position in 2007, we really increased our focus on the East Coast export bulk carrier vessel fumigation business. So prior to my current appointment as Chief Operating Officer, I also fulfilled the role of Director of Operations from 2013 to 2020, overseeing our locations in Virginia, North Carolina, Louisiana, Texas, and Oregon, and eventually our distribution and production facility located here in Virginia. Okay, so not only have you been in the industry for quite a while, but you've pretty much done about every job that can be done when it comes to fumigation then. <laughs> pretty much so, yes. <laughs> that's good, that's good, yeah. 
So obviously, you know, Dagesh, we work uh, primarily with phosphine. We work with a lot of other fumigants, but we primarily work with phosphine, and we also produce and distribute phosphine in the United States. So I think I have the right person to ask this question, so I want to ask you if you could just kind of give us a brief history of phosphine use in the United States. I'd be more than happy to, Ben. So phosphine received its first patent in 1934 after Dr. Freiberg developed a method for treating infested grain. Uh, the new product was called Fostoxin, and it was classified as a new fumigant releasing hydrogen phosphide or phosphine gas, is what we commonly refer to it as. And it was further invented by Dr. L. Hutter, a Dagish laboratory director in 1951. This was in Germany, right? This was in Germany, okay. correct. Yeah. So that was the roots of development of the Fostoxin brand, if you will. Uh, and then Fostoxin aluminum phosphide was commercially deployed in the U.S., uh, when Hollywood termite and pest control was granted the product registration under the U.S. FIFRA Act on November 10th of 1958. So it's been around a long time. It has. It's been around for quite a few decades. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> then after Degish's invention of magnesium phosphide formulation, registration for the Fumistrip and Fumicell product was granted by what is now the U.S. EPA. Also in 1979, after two years of planning and construction, the newly incorporated Degish America begun production as the only U.S. manufacturer of aluminum phosphide at our facility in Virginia. So from the basic initial use patterns, the fumigant has evolved into an industry standard used for the protection of stored commodities, processed foods, borrowing rodent control, fresh fruits and vegetables, cut flowers, and even some pre-shipment and quarantine treatments. Yeah, so phosphine is a very widely used fumigant. I, I would wager to say that phosphine probably has one of the widest use labels in, it, in the United States. It's so interesting in talking to people who are sort of on the periphery of the industry when, when we talk about the amount of commodities that are fumigated with phosphine, they realize that pretty much everything they consume at some point was likely treated with a phosphine product. And that's why phosphine is such an important molecule in the United States, because it has such a broad use on its label. It is critical to the preservation of, of a widespread, accessible, and economically viable food chain. Yeah, it's very, very important. So how does phosphine work? How does it accomplish the task, which we all know the task is to right. kill things, <laughs> in particular store product pests, but how does it actually achieve that result? Yeah, so phosphine is a fumigant, and being a fumigant, it's a gas. So it's not a fogging compound, it's not a liquid that's being introduced into a space. It's a gaseous chemical that penetrates uh, into all the nooks and crannies, if you will, to perform its function. Phosphine's mode of action is based on its acute inhalation toxicity. So being a fumigant, it's a gas, and it's introduced into the space as a solid, perhaps, or as a liquid, but the gaseous state of it is what controls the, uh, the insects. And the fumigant affects the cellular transport of oxygen or interferes with various cells' ability to process oxygen. So at the cellular level, it disrupts the flow of oxygen to the organism, if you will. So it suffocates them on a cellular level. More or less, or it inhibits their cellular function that eliminates their ability to sustain life. Okay, yeah. So overexposure can lead to pulmonary edema also, and irreversible exposure may lead to death triggered by cellular level damage caused by oxidative stress or mitochondrial dysfunction. So as you pointed out, it's either suffocation or disruption of its processes at the mitochondrial level that prevent the cell from continuing its existence. Essentially, any organism with a respiratory function can be controlled by the proper use of phosphine. Right, so it works off of like a couple of different modes of action then. Correct. Okay, Correct. yeah. 
we already talked about how long phosphine has been around. It's been used in the United States for decades at this point. What makes it still such a powerful fumigant of choice after all of those decades? So in my opinion, it's, it's a couple of things. First and foremost is versatility because it comes in various states, whether it's, it's a pressed compound or a liquid gas compound, aluminum, magnesium based. But bottom line is it's efficacy, ease of use and cost. So when you look at those three together, uh, and, and, and you intertwine the three premises of efficacy, ease of use, and cost, it makes it such a good fumigant. When used correctly, this is a very highly effective fumigant, eliminating all life stages of pest populations. So getting into, into all the earlier life stages than just the adults, which are usually the ones that are visible uh, during your monitoring program. So, but it eliminates all previous life stages as well. And again, when label instructions and FMP guidance are followed, the fumigant is very safe and relatively easy to use. It is a lethal compound, <laughs> let's <laughs> yeah, not forget. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but from a safety perspective, it is relatively user-friendly. And finally, considering the value of commodities and products treated, the fumigant costs and application costs are truly fractional. Yeah, yeah, I definitely think that when you look at the cost analysis or how much it costs to use phosphine as compared to maybe some of the other fumigants on the market, it's very cost-effective uh, for the results that you can achieve with it. For sure. So uh, there's definitely some advantage with the cost. I know I've used, I've used phosphine a lot, just like I'm sure you have, so it's definitely a cost-effective fumigant, which makes it very beneficial to the industry because that, in addition, helps us keep food costs down. That's the right. cheaper it is to protect that food supply, that gets reflected on down the line all the way to the consumer. That's right. Of it, the product. it doesn't unnecessarily inflate the supply chain with unnecessary costs. Right. Absolutely. So you mentioned a few different types of phosphine in our market. Can you give us a little bit of a description on what those different products are and kind sure. of how they work? Sure. Yeah. So they can be broken down into two major categories. One is press compounds, or they're also referred to as solid formulations. And the other one would be liquid or bottled phosphine varieties. The pressed compounds are either aluminum-based or magnesium-based. However, both compounds yield the same pH 3 or phosphine gas. So whether you're generating phosphine from aluminum or magnesium, you're generating pH 3. The molecule doesn't change any as to what is actually being used to treat the fumigated space. Right. And these pressed compounds can be further subdivided into loose material or package material, such as the Degas prepack. So if you have an application where contact with any residual dust from the fumigant, even though it's an inert material, where contact with the residual dust is not permissible, uh, that's when a packaged product would be used. And all magnesium products are prepackaged as the residue may not come into contact with any of the treated commodities. So as default, right. all the magnesium-based products are packaged products, whether it's the spot, the fumicell, or the fumicell strip that we offer commercially. Uh, and liquid pH 3 can either be bottled as 100% or nearly 100% and delivered using specialized equipment which dilutes it to a more stable concentration or as a 2% formulation which can be delivered directly from the cylinder into the fumigated space. So even though it's liquid under pressure, when it's introduced into the space, it is introduced in its gaseous formulation. Again, the exact same pH 3 molecule. Uh, that is doing the actual fumigating, if you will. Right. So whether you generate it from a tablet, a pellet, a prepack, a plate, a cylinder, or a dilution piece of equipment, you're still utilizing pH 3. As the, the molecules, the molecule. The molecules, the molecule. Of the, That's yeah, correct. Yeah. That's correct. Yeah. Regardless of how you get to it, you're still using the same molecule <laughs> as the fumigant. So as you see, there are, there's a, a number of different ways to achieve phosphine concentrations, and all categories and formulations have their pros and cons. 
Thus, selecting the best delivery system for the specific fumigation is really important. What fumigant do you need, whether you're treating a tarp or a warehouse or a container, knowing what you're going to treat is a big driving force in figuring out which product is best for that application. Oh, sure, absolutely. So yeah, I'm a Midwest boy. So, you know, I've done hundreds and hundreds of grain bin fumigations. They're prevalent all over in the Midwest, primarily corn and wheat and raw commodities like that. And when it comes to those things, because it's the pre-process stage or the raw stage, you can actually apply loose pellets or loose tablets and you don't have to really worry about the cleanup because during the processing phase, all of those commodities are gonna be cleaned up anyway. But if you're working with processed flours or processed foods and you're fumigating those, you can't introduce loose phosphine tablets and pellets to that stuff without it affecting that processed food. So that's when we always, at least in the Midwest, would rely on cells, prepacks, things like that, where you can actually collect up the spent material once it's completed and discard it outside of the product. So it's very important to know that distinction, that there are some cases where you're gonna to have to be able to collect that product, but there's also some areas where you don't necessarily have to collect up that spent product. You can actually leave it behind and it will be cleaned up during the processing stage from the raw commodity. Yes, that's 100% correct. So conversely, I grew up in, in tobacco fumigation world. Yeah. So uh, magnesium was the fumigant of choice and it was rare that we would actually use anything but magnesium for fumigations because most of our business was in the tobacco world. It wasn't until we got into the other commodities and the export fumigation business of, of export vessels that I became much more familiar with loose tablets and pellets because that is the fumigant of choice for those commodities and those types of applications. Sure, yeah. All right, so we kind of already talked about some of the varieties of phosphine products that are available on the market and kind of how we use them in some of these different uh, fumigation environments. Can you go a little further in explaining some of the differences between those products that are available? Yes, of course. So in summary, one of the major differences to consider is the potential for these inert residues and the amount of grams of phosphine that are going to be required to achieve the prescribed result. Uh, loose aluminum phosphide-based products are by far the most cost-effective, and they liberate large amounts of pH3 with ease of application. However, these are limited only to commodities where inert dust residue is still acceptable. Right, so, like the grain bins. Like the grain bins, exactly, yeah. or ship holds or, or some other applications. Sure. So next, the package or magnesium products also liberate large amounts of pH3 by deactivation. Disposal procedures uh, must be considered because of the uh, leftover package residue. Uh, and lastly, bottled pH3 limits they concerned for residue and disposal. Rather, at that point, logistics and cost become the primary focus, since these formulations are a little tougher to handle and they don't yield quite as large amounts of phosphine per cylinder or per application. Right, and the bottled phosphine or the cylinderized phosphine is delivered in reusable cylinders, steel cylinders, that once you've emptied them or once you've used them, they have to be returned back to the manufacturer, they have to be returned back to the warehouse where they're stored, whatever the case is. So you have an additional step that has to be taken at the end of the fumigation, which may or may not be a big deal, but it is something that has to be That's considered. Correct. So yes, Ben, you're exactly right. In summary, all categories and formulations have their pros and cons. So selecting the best one, the best way of generating phosphine is, is critical to the success of the fumigation. So knowing the commodity that you're working with and knowing all of your different fumigant options is critical to making the right choice. Not having all your tools in the toolbox limits your portfolio of what you can do. Sure, yeah, and actually I think that's one of the biggest benefits to the phosphine molecule is you have this wide variety of types of fumigants to choose from that you can use in all these different kinds of applications. So I think it makes it stand apart, in my opinion, from, from well, literally all the rest of the fumigants that are on the market. Right. 
Because so, all, all the other fumigants are, that's the way they come, for example, you know, sulfuryl fluoride, it comes in a cylinder. There's no solid formulation. There's no loose tablet pellet formulation. Right. You're, you're limited to that one, which is good. But at the same time, with phosphine having this many options, you really need to assess the pros and cons of each one to see which one is the one that's the right choice for the job. Yeah, yeah, it definitely gives it a little bit of an advantage in my opinion. All right, so I only have one last question for you, and it's a question I ask everybody that I talk to for the podcast. What kind of advice would you give a new fumigator? So picture somebody fresh to the industry. They may not even have their applicator's license yet for fumigation. What kind of advice would you give that person about the safe use of phosphine? Well, first and foremost, while you're working on getting your license is watch and learn from the folks who have experience. So make sure you, you sort of pick a role model, if you will, and stick to them and poke their brain for as much information as you can possibly glean about how they do things, why they do things more importantly. So that's critical of why you're getting your license. And once you have your license and you're uh, performing fumigations and they're under your license and your responsibility, then you want to make sure that they're done safely. Probably one of the things that I find the most critical is I always assess each fumigation backwards, meaning think about how to safely aerate the structure and evacuate the fumigant. Because while the phosphine is contained to either a solid form in tablets or pellets or plates or its cylinder form, that's when it's the easiest to control. But once it's been converted to its gaseous state, you're at the mercy of physics, right, <laughs> air yeah. currents, you know, structures layout, commodity density, packaging material, etc. So before I introduce any fumigant, I always have a plan for removing it safely before I'll start any fumigation. So make sure you read the label, follow the lead of experienced fumigators, question things that don't feel right, and rely on industry leaders. Yeah, I really like that uh, working backward. That's one of the first things I was taught as a fumigator years years ago was start at the aeration and work your way backward from right. the plan. The last thing you want to do is get into a situation where you've lost control of the phosphine at the gaseous state and you don't have the proper personal protective equipment in order to get it back under control. So you have to think about that. And you not only think about the aeration, but you have to have all of those what if questions run through your head. What if it leaks? What if this happens? That's what right. if it rains? What if we have high winds? You have to think about all that stuff and, and think about all your surroundings. And that's where planning and preparation come in handy quite a bit. The FMP helps a lot with that and experience and mentorship helps a lot with that too. No, that's not quite. That, that's where the FMP really comes into play is to address some of these unknowns. You can plan for the days you're gonna gas, you can plan for the days you're gonna open, you can plan for dosages, you can plan for the commodities or spaces being treated, but it's difficult to plan for weather events, for a falling tree, you know, any sort of loss of structural integrity with the structure that you're fumigating. So all those come into play. And as you pointed out, yes, exactly right. So maintaining control of phosphine in its original state is easy. Once you get into the gaseous state, it's, uh, it becomes quite a challenge. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's all I had for you, Bartek. I really appreciate you taking some time to talk to us today. Ben, you are most welcome and good luck uh, with season two. And I look forward to hearing the other podcasts. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I wanna thank Bartek Dronowski for giving us some insight into the use of phosphine. It's still one of the leading fumigants in today's market and understanding just how it works and why we still select it is so important. On the next episode of Dagish America Presents, we'll be talking about some of the different techniques we use when fumigating with phosphine. So if you've ever wondered what we mean when we mention terms like recirculation or sweet spot, we'll be covering those and many more. 
And remember, if you have a question you'd like for us to answer during our live season finale, please feel free to send it to us at podcast at degishamerica.com. Or if you prefer, we'll always be happy to answer your question right away. You can also find us at degishamerica.com or on all of the main social media outlets. And so until next time, I'm Ben Harl, and I hope you have a safe and terrific day.